Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a Miracle Made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver-infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle Made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made. Come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hello, hello. This is Fake the Nation presenting Succession Recaps. I am your host, Nikine Farsad, and we are dissecting HBO's hit series Succession because we love talking about billionaire conservative media icons who have just bitten the dust. And so today, we will tackle Season 4, Episode 4, titled Honeymoon States. And don't be confused, this is still the FTN feed, and you will get your regular episode of Fake the Nation on Thursdays. But on Mondays, for the next six weeks, we will be doing this bonus Succession Recap Pod. Uh, joining me today is artist and filmmaker and our resident wealth expert. She knows the 1% because she grew up eating their fish tacos. It's Danielle Dirtschlag. Hey! Hey, Danielle. Hey, Nagin. So glad to be here. To quote Tom from this episode, I'm only here to serve. <laughs> I said that like seven times. Um, also joining me today, and oh my God, this is an extra special treat. You know him. You love him. He is not an icon of conservative media, but an icon of public radio and an icon of comedy um, and just a, a phenomenal gentleman I've been able to work with many, many times over the years. It's been such a joy. He is the extraordinary Peter Sagal. Hey, hey, why don't you guys fuck off? <laughs> 
Shouldn't that be, shouldn't that be like a term of affection yes, yes, between succession yes, fans? Yes, absolutely. Right? You fuck I mean, right in the same off. way that That's like right. ballet ballet dancers say married to each other before they go on stage. Yes, fuck like, off. Yeah, oh, thank yeah, you. Yeah, precisely. Um, now, before we get... It, also, um, listeners of Fake the Nation are probably wondering... Why is this the first time that Peter Sagal is on a Fake the Nation property? Um, and it's because <laughs> Fake the Nation <laughs> has always taped at times that I happen to know Peter Sagal can't do it. And I've um and it's, it's I, over the years I've been oh it's always been on my to do list to like create a taping that he could do and it just hasn't happened. But Monday mornings I happen to know at at horrible eight a.m. in Chicago. <laughs> That Peter Sagal can can do can talk about succession, and I happen to know that he's a fan. So this all worked out. So thank you so much for doing this and momentous a- occasion for again the fake the nation properties, as I did yeah, in the, fact the call fake it the nation cinematic universe. <laughs> cinematic, yeah, expanded I cinematic love, universe. I, I love I love the idea that like the fake the nation credit sequence would have all those shots of the empire, like <laughs> yes. like Succession does the theme park, the offices, yeah, yeah, yeah. All, the billboard totally. in Times Square. Um, all, Why not? All all, all like from 1990s like VHS video handheld videotapes. Um, uh, all right, so before we get into my my now infamous episode summary, I would like to take a moment, not of silence for our fallen hero Logan, but a moment of extra chatter for our fallen hero. I just wanted to throw to you guys first to see you, if you have any additional thoughts about his death that you want to share. And I will start. I didn't mention this on the pod, but I did mention it to some friends at the coffee shop. Shout out coffee shop that I go to all the time. Um, and I said to them that I cried during that episode and people thought that was like surprising or whatever uh, that I cried. I was so, I I mean, I guess, I don't know if it's weird to be crying um, it, it, for these people <laughs> or not. But anyways, I just thought I would share that. Do you have any final thoughts about the last episode? You know, I guess what I was really struck by it, it relates to this episode, but it is about last episode, was that, man, is Logan still in the room in this episode? Mm-hmm. You know, when when a giant of this magnitude dies, um, they don't really go, right? The, the ripple effects of them are felt so acutely. I felt this episode did that really beautifully. And I have to say, Nagin, just in general, I am, um, I would say, surprised and totally intrigued by your profound empathy and compassion <laughs> for these characters. You know, coming from wealth, I'm like, fuck these people. And you keep having a level of empathy that I'm really curious about. So th- that is my dual response, that Logan is still very much um, offering the gifts of his presence, even in his absence. I'm aware of that. And also, I'm really struck that I did not have that reaction. I was not crying for Logan's lo- uh, passing. I, well, first of all, you guys... It's a pleasure to be here. You guys have handled all this stuff so far so smartly that I don't know if I have anything particularly wry or perceptive to add. I mean, one of the things you talked about that was really important, and I know because I listened to every interview and podcast I could about the show, (laughs) that they very intentionally made it not a television death. It it happened in a weird way off screen. You know, you don't, he didn't, Logan, you never, we all, as you guys discussed, you didn't see him. You never saw his face, et cetera. He, it's just a thing that happened and then crashed into all the other characters completely unexpectedly, which was great. Um, I'm with Nagin a bit in terms of having empathy for these characters, but for a very particular reason, which is that 
that thing that they ended up having to suddenly do of saying words to their father as he was dying slash dead is something I once did myself, although I had some warning. I had a beloved relative who was dying and I did that. It was like um, somebody said to me, I'm holding the phone up to her ear and I had to come up with something to say to somebody that I knew would be the last thing I'd ever say to them. And so that that hit me hard. Did and, you? But do you feel? Were you tongue tied, or did you land that plane? Oh, I was. Com- oh, I was completely tongue tied. And you know me, Nagin. I'm never at a loss for words. Uh, I am Mister Smooth. But it, it, and so th- there was, and you know, neither of these people, right? I mean, these people are really they're written by geniuses. They're very articulate and interesting and funny and wry. And as we saw in this episode, which was fantastically back to form in terms of the dialogue, these guys are never at a loss for words. And yet there was something about their stammering and and the, just the wave of emotions that was crashing through their brains as they tried to handle what they were doing that I found extraordinarily human and, and really moving and in a weird way for me, difficult. So points to Mr. Armstrong and company. Um, okay, well, now let's get into the episode summary. The cold open was a montage of grieving sibs, a disheveled Kendall, a toothbrushing Roman, and the most jolting of all, and we will get into this, a pregnant Shiv. That's right. Turns out Shiv has been putting that uterus to work because she got a call from her doctor with good news about the amnio test, which she, which means she's a bit along. Then the usual cast of characters meet at the post-croak hangout in Logan's Manhattan floor through, and of course, there's a bunch of grief on display, but more than that, there's jockeying, tons and tons of jockeying, positioning, repositioning, some mild backstabbing, and finger foods. Suddenly, Marsha is back and assures everyone that her and Logan were still very, very close, of course. And Connor does what every bereaving son would do and makes an offer of $63 million on Logan, now Marsha's Upper East Side apartment. Carrie makes a tearful and clearly unwell appearance so she can grab some of her stuff that looked like a bunch of bottles of Xanax, and she was very unkindly ushered out the back. A creepy group of conservative commentators and GOP luminaries have joined to say some words, including off-camera presidential candidate Jared Mencken, reminding us that the election between a Nazi and someone else is just around the corner. But what really grabbed everyone's attention was a not-legally-binding piece of paper that someone found in a safe that indicated, yes, at some point, Kendall was Logan's choice for succession. But Logan had also made some underlines, or were they crossouts, and additional addendums in the margin, which included words like Greg, question mark, but also... The Sibs and the board agree that Roman and Kendall will be co-CEOs. Shiv is clearly not happy with the arrangement, but goes along with it. And the first order of business is how to run the comms machine. Carolina and Hugo offer offer some strategies, including spinning a narrative that before Logan died, Roman and Kendall had to do a lot of heavy lifting because their dad was losing it. They all agree that it's gross to publicly shit on dad. But Kendall has one of those solo in the bathroom standing in front of the mere moments of self-reflection where he realizes that, no, a real hardcore CEO would shit on dad. So he pulls Hugo aside and tells him to leak it. Hugo resists, but Kendall has some shit on Hugo. So he says, quote, down low, just get on it unless you want me to pull out the strap on. And yes, strap on is how they ended this episode. Um, Now... I have some particular questions, but before we get into them, like, how did this episode leave you? It was, in a weird way, back to form for Succession, as we were talking about, because, I mean, there was a Twitter thread 
uh, where pe- people said, you know, f- flag yourself in your episode. And following that Twitter thread was so many brilliant lines that all these people had picked up. You know, you were speculating in a hu- in a comic mode. You know, there were so many brilliant moments of byplay, of 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 stabs in the front, mm-hmm. stabs in the mm-hmm, back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorites was uh, Willa's line, where where Marcia says, oh. "Look how far you've come," and she says, "Look at both of us." That was, you know, <laughs> yeah. you one know, of the, one of the best lines in a in a line filled episode. Right. Incredible. So so that was great. There was also a thing about it that seemed different, but was like last week's episode, is that it all took place, the entire episode, in one place mm-hmm. in real time, right? right? Wasn't quite true of last episode because you got to the plane, there was a little preliminary stuff, but from the moment Kendall walks in to the to the to the apartment to the last line which as you say was strap on followed by a smile it all played out in real time which is very very difficult to do even though people are going to different rooms and i thought i mean it was like a brilliant play which as a former playwright makes me very very happy oh i agree with all of that i i felt the hermetically sealed pressure of this environment visually, emotionally and i want to give a special shout out the director of this episode is Loreen i want to say Scarfaria, maybe Scarfaria. how you pronounce that? Mm-hmm. Scarfaria. And she uh, directed Baller. She's an incredible director. She also directed the Insane Kendall birthday episode. You know, bringing her in for this, I thought was so smart because the way she's visually handling what's really just a set of conversations and making those as gripping and as dire as they felt in this episode, brava to her. It was an incredible tour de force, this one. Um, also, didn't she direct Hustlers? Oh, did I say Ballers? Uh, you did. You said ballers, well, and I'm I, like the, okay, the obscure it. HBO show about yeah. sports agents. That show. You, you know, guys, I really like to dig deep when I'm referencing <laughs> yes. artists that I care about. Whoa! In, fa- that, in fact, it that was d- hustlers. That Dwayne Johnson yeah. Rob Corddry yeah. vehicle. Yeah. Well, you know, unappreciated. I was like, yeah, oh, well, I'm not I, familiar with ballers, but I don't. Yeah. I know she directed Hustlers, which was snubbed at the Oscars, but it shouldn't have been. Um, That's right. Especially because it was a TV show. No, wait, I'm sorry. I'm confused. <laughs> ballers, hustlers, yes. Moving. It was also a ski low song, I believe, in like 1993. Right. So there's That's a lot right. going on. She's um, been very active. That's I, what I'm saying. Apparently, she gets yeah. around. I yeah. want so I, I I definitely think the director deserves a shout out, and I think I can't stop shouting out Kendall Jeremy Strong as an actor. Uh, the fuck? I mean, this dude can go from <laughs> grieving to malicious in 20 seconds. It is unbelievable. He showed us the breadth of human um, kindness and vulgarity all in, you know, 57 solid minutes of show. It was, um, I thought that was a thing of beauty. And can I just also ask something just a side question here. How often do either of you walk into a bathroom and just have a moment of self-reflection? And Is that where everybody does their gut checks? Is it just me that I, like a gut check of a different kind? Is it just me that does not do these kinds of like where, where existential do you, where do you, moments? Your moments of solitude yeah, yeah, and what's, self-doubt. What's, what's your where, reflection where do you surface? Go? Is it a oh my own? gosh, Nagin, Nagin is out on the balcony like staring go, into the distance. I like to go into the, the breakfast nook for my moments of self-reflection. <laughs> Like, and that's mostly where I do it. Uh, but I was like, I was like, this is so ridiculous. This is so ridiculous that we're always seeing the uh, the the ba- the bathroom in these rooms. Okay, so so Jeremy Strong played the shit out of the episode, and he had a really touching moment with Frank. Turns out Frank is like 
I mean, he's often been one of the only people with a beating heart, you know? Yeah. Um, and he comforts Kendall by saying, you know, he was an old bastard and he loved you. He loved you. So does Kendall want love or does he want power? Like, what are we learning more and more about Kendall in this episode? The, the answer is yes. Kendall, <laughs> <Yeah>. wants, <laughs> Kendall wants love and, and Kendall wants power. You know, I, I'll say briefly, I think one of the things that we learned in this episode, which I thought was coming anyway, is that when it when it comes down to brass tacks, Kendall has a good amount of Logan in him. And mm-hmm. he can make the kind of call that Logan would have made, but he can do it while looking vulnerable and more human, which in some ways might make him more dangerous as, mm-hmm. a, as, I, an, as an actor. I keep coming back to, and this is the first chance I've been able to sort of talk about the show with anyone outside my poor beleaguered wife. So <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's an amazing moment in season two. It's after the incredible climax of season one with the death of the kid at the, at the wedding, where Logan says to, to Kendall, you're just not a killer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the context they're talking about is business and, you know, titans and billionaires and, you know, gladiators and global combat. But there's the second meaning of you're not a killer. You didn't murder that kid. And and that to me, that single line, like summarized everything between the relationship of the father and son, which is mm. he's at the same time insulting him and comforting him and both land on, um, I almost called him Jeremy, both land on Kendall With the same weight, you know, this dismissal, you're not a serious person, as he said in one of his very final scenes. And yet at the same time, I love you and I value you as a human. You're not a terrible person. And I think Kendall still wants that. Oh, my God. The scene where he hears about the piece of paper and like he was named. And just, I mean, you can just look at Jeremy Strong's face as he hears that. It's like that's the insane the, the the validation he has wanted his entire life. I also don't know if he's really. I mean, I think that uh, Logan was right about him. I don't think he's ever been that conscienceless sociopath that Logan can be whenever he needs to be. I think he, he he's always fronting. Yeah, which yeah, everybody yeah. does in this show. Well, I I mean, yeah, he has a harder time turning off um his humanity. But smile to smile, the you pointed out Peter that he ends the episode and he's like, "Or do you want me to pull out a, uh, the strap on?" And by the way, that was a reference to we hear Hugo Right. Talk yes. to his daughter on the phone and being like, you're pulling out the strap on, you're fucking me or whatever. And yes. and Hugo, for cra- reasons that are unknown to anyone, kind of tell gives Kendall this dirt on himself that like I accidentally told my daughter that Ken that that Logan was dying before it was public and she sold her stock. And so Kendall now has this dirt, you know, that he can use, right? And the phenomenal thing is that he said, Or do you want me to pull out the strap on? And then he did that evil smile which reminded me of the smile that the little teeny smile that Logan gave to the TV when he sees Kendall saying in season two or whatever, like my dad knows, know what was going on. He's like a horrible guy, whatever. And he says that to um, in a press conference and he's like impressed with Kendall. That's right. For being the kind of dick that he wants Kendall to be. A couple of things. First of all, uh, it was really, weird when he walked by Hugo and Hugo's having that conversation. You're fucking me. You've got a strap on and you're fucking me. And you don't know what it is and you find out later because as Chekhov said, when you introduce a strap on <laughs> in the first 10 minutes of an episode, that strap on will eventually, will eventually fuck somebody yeah, in the third yeah. act. Yeah, no, that's right. And the second that's right. thing is, 
uh, we had uh, we had Brian Cox on Wait Wait, and uh, I read his book, which is great. Mm-hmm. It's mostly about British theater, which I love. And in the introduction, written by Frank Rich, one of the executive producers of the show, when when Frank Rich is talking about the genius that is Brian Cox's acting, he references Nagin that exact moment you just mentioned. Oh, the one in the boat <laughs> where he is looking at Kendall's press conference mm-hmm. oh. and the smile, the wordless smile on, on on Logan's face indicates exactly that sense of pride. Like, yeah. That's how you fuck someone. You are my son after all. So yes. nice call there. What's so interesting, right, is we do see Kendall taking in that piece of paper with all of the longing and desperation for approval we've known he's been having all this time. Just to underscore, it's not a home run piece of paper. No. It's a piece of paper with some penciled musings, to quote Jerry, that imply that at one time, a time no one's clear about, you know, Kendall was the guy. Coming from Logan, Mr. Violent Enmeshman, how can I keep my children close by harming them? This is the ultimate parting gift. Logan understands how legal documents work and that they have to be in pen and dated and signed. And so to have all of these sort of implications of succession on this piece of paper, I thought only continued the dance of torture post-mortem. Yes. And also, it's 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 funny too, because it's like only a dude like that would have a pencil on hand <laughs> with yes. which to f- continue to fuck his children well, in the afterlife. You know what I mean? It's like- it's the, right. one he used to, it's the one he used to do the Sudoku. That's how he had a pencil. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, that's sure. What's interesting, uh, uh, Linda, Linda Holmes, uh, my friend at NPR who- does great succession recaps. She said uh, on Twitter that whoever, like whoever in the props department did the underline slash cross through deserves an Emmy just for getting it exactly (laughs) right. You don't know which. And the second thing, Danielle, is, you know, I don't know what everybody else does when they finish watching an episode of Succession. I go back and watch it again and try to like freeze frame and read things and try to piece things out. There were actually, there was a lot of information about the timeline of the document. So the document was originally drafted, they said, four years ago. They figured that out mm-hmm. because of the- right. um, The Virgin the, Islands deal and yeah, the something, between something. The second, yeah. vir- the second Virgin Islands restructure or whatever. So they knew exactly. It was originally written four years ago, which is before the show started, the timeline of the show. Right. But then they say there's a reference to certain things in the penciled notes, they don't say what, that indicate that it was amended sometime in the last 18 months, which is the timeline of the show, Mm. right? So you know it was drafted before the show started, before that first episode, and sometime during the run of Succession, in a scene we never saw, Logan was sitting in his office doing Sudoku, and he pulled out that piece of paper, and he made those notes. In reaction to what? We don't know. And I, are you guys team underline or team cross out? <laughs> <laughs> I'm team Logan purposefully made it ambiguous. That's what I'm team. Like, I mean, do, do it's, you, it's perfect do you think, torture. Do you really think Logan is as Machiavellian as he is actually said, now let me just do this just, <laughs> no, no, I just want to catch, I just want to catch the bottom serif of that T just crossing in the midline of the typecase so it just is imp- no i think he was sitting there although nothing is funny to me is the greg greg oh, i know amazing. i know which i mean in greg being like i think that obviously means that like i'm number 2 and like the just deep belly laugh of like oh, the, yeah, of good the, try yeah of the keystone fucks i thought was the most hilarious 
Frank has had so few opportunities to properly laugh at what is occurring in a scene. Yeah. It's really yeah. not afforded him to yeah. get to see him guffaw because Greg is so being beautiful. so patently ridiculous. I I loved it. All right. We have so much to talk about, but before we get into all of it, let's just take a quick break and we will come back and continue gabbing. This HeadGum Podcast is brought to you by Aura Frames. That is right. Uh, from grandmothers to new mothers, aunts, even the friends of your life, every mom loves an Aura Frame. Holy shit, even aunts? Yes, especially aunts. Oh, well. Because it was named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things. I mean, these Aura Frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. I believe it. You have an Aura Frame, don't you? Yes, I actually more than believe it. I know it. Uh, I've got one for my mom, my mother-in-law, my grandmother-in-law. And dare I say your aunt? And dare you say my aunt and my aunt-in-law. Everyone's got one. Everyone loves them. I mean, Mother's Day is right around the corner, and there's no better gift than a digital photo frame. You give them the frame. It's got preloaded pictures in there. And you know what? You can update it with an app. So every time you take a new picture of a sweet little a person or place or thing in your life, it gets automatically sent to that frame. Exactly. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. Holy smokes. Excellent deal. Yeah, that's A-U-R-A Frames.com. You use the code HEADGUM at checkout to save. HEADGUM. Nice. Yes. HeadGum. It's easy to set up. It's loved by everybody, including Oprah, including your aunt. Mm-hmm. So do check them out. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code HeadGum at checkout to save. Damn right. And terms and conditions apply, of course. Of course. Thanks again to Aura. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. So here's my next question. There was a moment with Shiv and Tom. And one thing that I thought was interesting that I, that I sort of didn't think about is that she feels guilty about putting Logan on that plane to go back to Sweden and ask for more money, which yeah. I, you know, for whatever reason hadn't occurred to me. And Tom wants to try and comfort her. And he speaks to her so, so gently and reminds her of when they first met. And the musical score is so quietly wistful and nostalgic. And it was just such a broken and beautiful moment. And she's fucking pregnant. Is there hope there between the two of them? Does she kind of need Tom as a rock to lean on in order to ascend? She she obviously decided in the moment she didn't. I watched the first time I watched that, um, I was like, yeah, when he says, let me offer you kindness and I mm-hmm. bought it and I'm like, okay, that's what he's trying to do in this moment. Mm-hmm. And then the second time I watched it, I'm like, no, this is another play. He has been going around this room checking on allies and finding no one. And he gets that amazing put down from Carl, 
which which is it's this is a show in which nobody says what they mean. They're constantly fronting, they're constantly playing, which I find actually weirdly realistic, even yes. in a show with this level of dialogue. And that's one of the few moments where somebody just turns to somebody else. They'll actually the only other the person who did this consistently just said what they felt was Logan Roy. But mm-hmm. this is the first time that somebody just turns to somebody and says, let me tell you the truth. Even though he he frames it as, let me just speculate on what the counter the counter case might be. You know, just, just spitballing here. I love you. But somebody who didn't might say, you're a piece of shit. <laughs> so he's been given that, right? So I can see him Wait, looking around the so room this saying- is, This is the line, by the way. The line is, the negative case would go, you're a clumsy interloper and no one trusts you. The only guy pulling for you is dead. And now you're just married to the ex-boss's daughter and she doesn't even like you. And you, um, uh, and you are fair and squarely fucked. Exactly. And so once he's heard that, and he's also checked in with everybody else, I think, by this time. So he's gotten it from the fellow executives, quote unquote. He's gotten it from the siblings. I'm only here to serve he realizes his last lifeline is to somehow re-engage with his own wife by reminding her how lovely it was once when she wore that beautiful silk shirt in France. And we remember that that actor, and I blank on everybody's names, uh, who plays Tom, became famous by playing Mr. Darcy. Yes. In Mm -hmm. an Austin, Mm -hmm. and like that's, as somebody else pointed out, he goes full Mr. Darcy on her, and it does not work. But it I mean, she's worked on you. Maybe there. First of all, Peter, I don't know if you know this about me. There is a Nora Ephron um, residing inside of me, starring Meg Ryan, and I just want everyone to be happy. And I like, you know, (laughs) and I just I want to see Tom and Shiv, and they have this bouncing cute baby, and everyone, which he doesn't know about, and like Waystar turns into Greenpeace. You know what I mean? And it's everyone. (laughs) It's just beautiful. You know, like that's kind of where my heart wants things to go um uh, negate and i'm sure the country won't worry about that ending at all or find it distasteful <laughs> in any way uh, you know yeah. i just to, to support peter's um thought because i agree with him entirely what has tom do you guys remember the language tom used prior to that scene privately with all of the staff to describe these three kids uh what, what, oh yeah it was, it was very harsh but i don't remember the phrase what was it's, it it's something like it's it was something like failures and imbeciles, maybe a little lighter than yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. Know, he, you know, they're talking about sort of the overall narrative here. How are we how are we going to get these kids out? Basically, Tom has been in that conversation. I would say aggressively participating. Twenty minutes before this intimate moment on the stairs, you cannot divorce what we've heard him say just previously. Oh, yeah. Loaded room. phrase. Loaded from, phrase, Danielle. Thank, thank you, Peter. You, we can't divorce that from that moment on the steps because we know the agendas in Tom are robust and varied. I, I entirely right. agree. And remember, at the end of season three, the very last shot, because I went back and watched it, preparation for this season, is Shiv staring at Tom in that wherever they are in Italy, just absolutely anviled mm-hmm. by the realization that he betrayed her. That's right. He 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 the worst thing that anybody has done to her that we have ever seen on the show, he just did. He basically uh, shiv, betrayed shiv. her out of her birthright. He shivved shiv. Yeah. Right. Right. And and that, you know, that may have been broadcast 18 months ago in our world, but it is very live in Shiv's memory. And mm-hmm. and and I guess, you know, in terms of just like Eve, you know, 
strategizing and tactics and gameplay. I mean, it's true. And I I think the moment before this was also for Tom was also him going up to Kendall. It could have happened after this. I'm not exactly sure where he said, where he approaches Kendall and, and tries to make a case for himself or whatever, make amends. And Kendall basically says, I like you, Tom, good luck. Um, which is one another great line. Which is mm-hmm. another, which is the, is it an underliner cross through line? You know, yes. um, it, it's so, it's, it's so like, oh, no, but he said me, he it liked me. Cr- but it was an absolute cross through because the good luck <laughs> is like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. you're great, Tom. You're a lovely guy. <laughs> yeah. It's been really fun to know you. But good luck. But fuck off. I'm yeah, not yeah. helping you. You are you are floating out to sea right now. I hope somebody throws you a lifeline because it ain't going to be me. Well, let's turn our attentions quickly to. Um, well, first of all, Colin is wearing jeans. That so just I uh, think it should just uh, be noted here on oh, Fake the Nation that Colin uh, was wearing jeans. Let not it be only said. that, there's another, and he's a kid. Colin has a kid. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and and part of the reason they're like, how could he possibly be a kid? He was always with our father. Is the subtext? Yeah. But Correct. there's another – I don't know if anybody else that I saw in the recaps noticed this, but remember what uh, what Brian Cox has said was the favorite scene he ever played as Logan Roy, which is sitting in the diner, the diner. with Colin, right? Yes. You're my, you're my best bud. You're my best pal. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. He left Colin a watch. That was one of the notes. Yeah. He says a watch for Colin. And it doesn't say like that's the only thing Colin's getting. But it felt like the only thing. I bet it is. I bet. Oh, yeah. He's getting a watch. And you know what? The I'm pretty sure it was Colin. The first thing we saw Colin do in this TV show is pay off that family at the game, the one who got completely humiliated by Roman, by giving them the watch, the same watch that Tom had painstakingly picked out as a present for Logan. So- Paying somebody off with a watch. Colin did it, and now it is done to him. Oh, this show is deep. And it's wild because then you that's when you sort of look at, you know, uh, pencil scribble timelines because you're like, he knows that his son killed a guy and like he's going to leave him a watch. I mean, I feel like that's at least worth a million dollars or whatever. You know what I mean? Like like a watch for my son killed a guy is not, I'm not, I'm going to say that doesn't work. If if either of you are handling my will, please let it be known that a watch is not going to cut it for if I killed a guy. Um, Mm-hmm. Speaking of wills, can I, I want to ask Danielle a question as a representative from the 1%, which is right. one of the things that is not discussed, and I think I know why, is not discussed at all during this episode is the will. The actual right? will, yeah. The actual will. Who gets what of all this money? We have this weird conversation. We know that that his wife, Marcia, gets the apartment, which she's, she's instantly liquidating everything and getting out. Right. But And the reason I think that's true, and this is where I turn to you, Danielle, is based on my own limited experience, and I have some. A wealthy person like Logan, a mega wealthy person like Logan, doesn't leave things to people. It's all taken care of before his death. Like everybody has a trust. trust. Yeah. Everything's Mm -hmm. in a trust because the one thing I happen to know again from personal experience, let's just say that my my sympathy for Tom and his plight of marrying into this wealthy family (laughs) is somewhat somewhat based on experience ah. um they uh they they've got it all settled no there's no question of who's getting what they've all got theirs already so that's why the only issue is who's going to run this company that's precisely correct everything has been codified legally devised to avoid taxation decades ago 
you know, to give an example here of how specific this gets, I knew a family where um, there was a very wealthy uh, art collector and she was living, of course, with all of her paintings, but they were officially owned by her children before her passing, but on her walls so that they wouldn't be taxed as part of her estate, despite being literally the wallpaper of her life. Those kind, that level of detail is almost always, if, if people have good lawyers, etc., is almost always completed and figured out eons before the actual event. That's why, particularly in 1% families that are dynastic through a shared company, like this one, that's why all of the post-mortem drama is professional. Because the, the personal stuff tends to already really be already on paper and done. This is where we decide who was really loved or not loved, who was really honored or not honored. All of these machinations. You're precisely correct. Uh, Ooh, it's I like the, this. the 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 <laughs> um the trust thing is real. Like I um yes. I, you know I I've I've again and I and, and Peter knows I have some stories of like well, Daniel knows I have some stories about like some wealthy people and like how they but the the trust thing I mean they start talking about it and thinking about their trust from a very young age, knowing like what's in it and how it mo- moves and shakes and what the trust is doing. What's you know so um and also like the thread of the of things changing with the trust and who you know and all that stuff I feel like is also something that's used um over people's heads depending on the horrendousness of the parent Correct. but I wanted to actually talk about in th- this in terms of like taking care of people when Carrie shows up um Marsha's not oh very nice to her Carrie's oh. a fucking wreck um it's so interesting to to, to see like Carrie's just decline like her utter just the the way she's oh, crying God. she was walking around in power suits before that's like, right. I remember like one of the things she said to greg i will absolutely take you apart i mean she she absolutely wielded that power yeah she was such she was such an excellent right hand man you know and now she's getting her stuff in like a cvs bag you know to go home <laughs> it was so it's just so weird and sad um to take Mar- the subway to her small apartment yes we're getting marcia says we're getting her a taxi to the subway so she can go back to her little apartment this little apartment <laughs> did you I, I, again i watched the show uh, again and the second time i watched it i turned on closed captions so i missed something that i caught the second time and that is when carrie is like on her knees trying to pick up her stuff and roman is helping her she says to him, I didn't write it down, but she says, we had plans. He was going to marry me. Yes. He, there's a piece of paper. Could you look for it? It's like she honestly believed that she was going to be the one, two, three, four, fourth? Yeah. Possibly fifth? Yeah. Yes. Mrs. Logan Roy. And she had it made. Mm-hmm. And, and, just, and the fact that she thinks that that's, that that's going to get her anything, that there's some... There's some shred of hope that she is going to be able to regain any of that, that it counts for anything in the post-Logan world is so sad. It's and so also, sad. Props to that actor. Oh, I, I, yeah. I should have learned her name, and I'm sorry if you're listening. You are a genius yes. in the way that she is able to go from, again, that absolutely shark mode when she's with Logan. Like, this, like the opening scene when she's at the... Uh, the birthday party and she just goes after Greg for bringing in that girl. Oh my God, she's tough. And now the utter destruction of her. It's amazing and human and true and it's all encompassed in one person. And it also is is sad because it's like, you know, when when she was going for the anchor job, like I was just like, 
this woman is um, smart, but she's dumb. You know what I mean? Like there's something, it's like, and and I think that her her ruination at the end kind of like harkens back to that. Like, do you thought that this, any of this was going to go your way? Like, it's not, it, it was probably never going to go your way. Even, you know, I, I don't think that he would have married her in the end, you know, unless it turned into a Sumner Renstone totally losing his faculty situation. But Danielle, what were right. you going to say? I mean, I, you know, what I thought this captured so perfectly about wealth, culture, and death is, you know, after the passing of sort of what, what's usually called the 1G, the first generation of wealth creation in a family, after that passing, the only currency that matters is currency. You know, the idea that emotional currency matters or that what the person actually felt matters, all of that disappears immediately and it becomes a series of legal realities. The fact that Marsha was completely absent from this man's life, I I personally don't believe they were talking intimately twice a day, as she asserts. You know, the fact that- I I could do a phone sex bit if you like. (laughs) Amazing line. (laughs) Um, But the fact that she, you know, is the head of this house again. That is because she understands what Carrie does not. She's been in this world long enough to understand that what counts is what is legally on paper at this moment. What Logan desired, thought, felt, and planned to do, meaningless. And Carrie sits in that meaningless pile. Let's shift our attentions to, like, what people know. Because I'm still struck by the fact that Kendall is sort of responsible for her kid's death. I mean, again, we, we could talk about like the kid pulled the, the the steering wheel, whatever. There are ways in which he was not responsible. But either way, he didn't fucking tell the police, did he? So that sure is makes him not great. And um, Colin knows. Marsha knows. The Sibs know. Oddly, yes. Marsha's son knows. So there's yep. five people we know that um, are familiar with this. How does Marsha's son know? Remind me of that. Because he, he was in the room. Yeah, yeah. He was. In the, he oh, found right. the key card or something like that. There's something right. about the yeah, key card. Yeah, the key card scene. Yeah. Parenthetically, if you want to see a masterclass in acting, rewatch that sequence from the car crash to the end of the episode with Jeremy Strong going through this extraordinary experience of having done it getting back to the hotel, the mansion, whatever it is, thinking he's gotten away with it and then finding out he hasn't. And Mm. it all happens without Jeremy Strong saying more than three words. Mm -hmm. It is amazing. Yes. But you were saying. I mean, there's a lot of people that know. Is this, again, if, you know, as Chekhov said about the strap-on in Act 1. Yes. Yeah. This is is one of the major strap-ons of this series. Um. Are, do you feel like this could be his takedown? What's interesting is that you had that thought, which is smart as usual. Uh, by the way, props for predicting Logan's death. Yes, yes, yes. You need a chance to say that. Um, since I wasn't on last week's show and may never be on this again, that was very smart. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you know that. Other smart people have seen it. But what's weird is, as far as we know, it hasn't crossed Kendall's mind yet. He, when he was in, when he was so enthused about that piece of paper and his chance to f- to get the thing that he's wanted from season one, episode one, that he stop- didn't stop to think that, oh my God, just like he has the strap on on Hugo, mm. his sibs, as they like to put it, have the strap on on him because he handed it to them. Mm. And and I, I, I would be very surprised if it doesn't come up in exactly that way very shortly. Um. I, I wanted to uh, also po- point out, we're going to end on um, some funny lines from the episode, but um, before that, I just want to point out that there were all these, like, you know, 
ATN fucks at the yes. <laughs> wake. Um, and there was like a GOP. I, I can't remember who that guy was in the GOP. His, I, I actually had to go. He's played by Stephen Root, one of the great actors. So funny. If you, yes, if you're not so watching, amazing. If you're not, wa- He's if you're in not everything. watching Barry, you need to watch Barry. Yeah. yeah. Um, we can do, maybe we can do a podcast about yeah. Barry. And, um, <laughs> but I had to go back and watch so uh, uh, and figure it out because I was very curious because they don't reintroduce him. There was an episode in season three where the family went to a conservative gathering in Virginia. Yes. And that's where they met the presidential candidates. And that's where the, yeah. the, the amazing sequence of like with Logan asking these people to go get him a drink. Yes. And the one, right? That that amazing sequence, that whole scene. Stephen Root plays a guy who was the organizer of that conference. Somebody who we are led to understand as like a Koch brother level. Right. right. Uh, power broker in the GOP, a very wealthy donor, ideologue type guy. Oh, who knows? Let's let's be more current. He's a Harlan Crow type figure. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And so obviously, and they brought him back without introduction to do the eulogy. Right. And, uh, just absolute nonsense garbage, which by the way led, I'm sorry, I know I'm going on. There are so many things I love in this episode. <laughs> One of the things I love about Tom is the different aspects of of himself that he can show to people depending on the needs. He's so gracious and kind. He's over here with Shiv. He's so eager to serve. But when he's with Greg, <laughs> it's the disgusting brothers again. That's right. right? It's like, well, oh, yeah, these fucks. Yeah, he died. Yeah, he died trying to fish his iPhone out of a clogged toilet. And then Greg, Greg attempting to do the same thing, the same kind of conspiratorial. We're, we're the disgusting brothers. Yeah, he made the country look like a dick. And Tom turning to him and she's like, that's terrible. (laughs) You don't know how to do this. (laughs) That brings up an excellent point, though, Peter. Why is there is actually no reason for Greg. And I know, by the way, Faith Nation has so many listeners that are fans of the Greg conspiracy theory that he will be taking over. We have so, so many fans out there. Love you all. Bless you all. But there is actually no reason for Greg, and there was, and no one in the episode treated him nicely. No one in the episode, I mean, I could barely even look at him when speaking to directly to him. It was like he is, he yes, his grandfather has a vote on the board, but his grandfather also basically abhors him. So it's kind of like right. he's. It's not like he has pool right with his grandfather, Ewan well, or he's, whatever. He's always had influence through his relationship to Tom. And so his influence rises or falls with Tom. And Tom and as we've has almost discussed, nothing. Tom's, Tom's stock moment, has fallen. Right. Yes. In this moment, where Tom's going, that's an interesting question. Right. Again, I'm, I'm always like, because they brought back cruises, right? They mentioned cruises in the last couple episodes. So I'm always yeah. like, cruises? You know what I mean? Is that the thing that like, does Tom have more things with cruises that can come out? Also, um, will Tom find out that Shiv is pregnant? And what will oh, that? God, yeah. Of course, that's the, but that's that's that could be that's the game changer, right? Is is whether or not? Tom yeah. And by the out. way, speaking of of Chekhov's hard on, you know, or, or strap on, as we have been through this episode, <laughs> one of the things that you know I was thinking about, Peter, in terms of Chekhov, was you know it's a brilliant storytelling choice to give us this blast of unexpected magical information, right? Shiv yes. is pregnant. And it's not referenced again by anyone else for the remainder of the episode. Except, as many people pointed out, there are scenes of Shiv buttoning up her jacket yes. over her abdomen, and it's a little tight. 
and she's constantly doing it. So she's aware of it all the time. That's right. And we also feel it, I think, when she says, you know, I've lost everything. I've lost all my choices. I think that that sentence on the stairs with Tom is partially about the fact that now I'm stuck with this new reality that I have to contend with that no one in the room knows about. She, actually, I think what she says, unless it's a different line, is she says, I'm the only one who lost something she really wanted. That's right. Which is an amazing moment for Shiv, both in terms of how she sees herself, how she sees everybody else. What did she? What was it? Does she the only one who really wanted her father's approval? promotion, final acceptance, even though she's a woman. It's unclear, but it, she felt it. It's, it is unclear. because, And it's funny because I'm I'm reminded of all those scenes where her and Tom were working as like a power team and she would come into Tom and be like, I really want this, you know, um, yes. when she was talking about the CEO job where she kind of like really – sat with herself and just decided, yeah, like, this is the thing I want. I want to lead this organization. I want to be that bad bitch. Like, that's what I want. And so, um, so part of you is like, oh, or did she really, did she lose? Is that the thing she really wanted? Because Kendall has obviously been, I mean, Kendall has wanted that since he knew, uh, since his first uh, dose of H, you know what I mean? He has wanted that. Um, (laughs) But uh, but I but I wanted to mention about the about the dudes in the room. So one of the interesting things that ha- like that they talked about is when a when a sort of rich and famous person dies, all of these other people get to eulogize and talk about that person, and it's yes. sort of like the family is sort of left in the in the outskirts. And I think it's so interesting to not be able to own the narrative of your dad dying, um, and I and and them sort of being and it. I felt it so acutely. They were like all standing in the far back of the room, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like, oh, this guy, like eye rolling. Um, And then, but then also to walk into Logan's office and be like, dad played, did Sudoku? Like, did you know that? And to also sort of realize maybe all of these people kind of have as much claim to him as we do, like, did we really know him? Right. And and that throws back to the last episode when Logan died essentially off screen, because that was indicating what you're talking about. Like his exit was unseen. There's no resolution as to who this guy was or how he left or what he was thinking. It, it, the second his heart stopped beating, he's exited and, and it's all unresolved. And that's why that last that that way they handled it in the last episode was so excellent. And it continues. I also want to call out the fact that when they go into his office, his cardigan, yeah, is hanging on the chair. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure, who knows, yes. it was a brief shot and unclear, that it's the same cardigan that Brian Cox is wearing in the final shot of the credit sequence. When it goes oh, from a mm-hmm. shot on archival family video wow. of the father figure walking away, and it cuts to present day Brian Cox from the back wearing cardigan. that cardigan in the ATN boardroom. Yeah, oh, it right. also it looks wow. like his like t- his his usual lazy boy cardigan, like the one that he always wears to watch yeah. ATN at night or whatever. Yeah, like yeah. That. to yeah. ruin to ruin America. With. To ruin yeah, America. Right. With. Yeah, it's his right. his ruin America cardigan. Um, yeah. A couple of uh, fun lines before we wrap up here. Um, uh, Kendall walks into the room and says, where's Carrie? And Roman says, in Marsha's trunk, inside an anaconda, inside a sarcophagus. 
Um, I, I, I sort of loved their, their just, um, the, the funny thing is like how also just deeply aware they are of their dad's relationship to people, you know, um, and then what he does to people and what he do, does to these women. And, uh, and they're yes. right, you know, about, about all of that stuff. They've seen these women come and go. Um, I, you know, like everybody else's who took notes watching the yep. episode, preparing for their succession pod recap podcast. I have got so many. Lines <laughs> let's hear your let's hear a line like, from I, you, I, Peter. Right. Yeah, I, I, I I've got a great grief guy. <laughs> you know that whole scene where they're reading yeah. the obit and translating oh it. He was God. a man of his time. Also racist and relaxed with sexual assault. Yes, yes. And then, yes. like, and then like yeah, maybe he was pederast. He wouldn't even hug his own grandkids. Uh, uh, from the very beginning, when 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 Kendall walks in, and and um and the wife Marcia says, "Oh, my condolences and your loss," and Kendall's like, "Uh, likewise." <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, here's another one. I'm twi- I'm twin track. I'm both dead and alive. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I love. Oh. I mean, Kendall had I, again bravura performance, phenomenal lines. Kendall said there was a there's a really hilarious photo on uh, the obituaries of of um, Logan laughing like in deep yeah. guffaw. <laughs> yes. And Kendall says, "Did any of you ever see him laugh like that?" And Roman says, "Only if a hobo was on fire." <laughs> <laughs> and then um, Shiv's amazing line. I really like Dad. I wish I had gotten. I wish I had ever. I wish I had met him. <laughs> um, uh, when, it, when it comes yeah. to describing Logan, Shiv every time. Remember when she said we just walked in on our parents fucking us at the end of the last season? She's incredible. Yeah. I have to say, a line from this episode. It's not so much a funny line, but a line that is haunting me. I don't know about you guys. Is when Frank says to Kendall, "You seem so well." Yes. Oh, are you, yes. Are, no. are you sure you want back in? It was one of the few moments in this entire TV series where somebody says something genuinely kind yeah. to yes. another person. Genuinely kind about their interior landscape, about feelings, right? right. I'm, I'm noticing that internally you seem to be doing better outside of this system. Do you right. really want to reenter this? Yeah. I, that moment kicked me in the tush. I just couldn't believe the power and, and the, the and, intimacy of that. In contrast to what Tom says to Shiv, there's no agenda to it either, right? Yeah. Right. He's just like, are you sure you, I've known you your entire life. Right. Right? Since you were a child. I've seen your ups and downs. He's been there for the events of this television show. And so it's, he's fine. He's okay because he seems to be getting away from the nightmare. He's out. Emotional cyclone that is his family's legacy. Right. Do you um, really want back in? And that was echoed too by Shiv and Roman having a conversation. And Shiv, Shiv goes, This feels right. Or like, This has been good, right? Like about the Sibs sort of working together. Yeah. Yes. And she even says, What is, what is her line? Let's, let's, let's swear on dad. This, this is a yeah. yesterday thing. She's like, mm. remember how we felt about each other and the thing we went through yesterday? That's that's the spirit in which I am trusting you not to screw me over again. Right. Yeah. You know? It's amazing how these characters are as aware of what's happening often as we the viewers are, which I give credit to. A lot of times we're supposed to buy that characters can't see things that we can see as the right. viewers. Come on, don't go into that room. You know there's a monster yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah. These right. guys always know there's the monster in the room. Right. Um, 
Uh, just a couple of more lines that I loved. Uh, Connor says, can you believe this shit? He's trying to make pop into a neoconservative. He wasn't a neocon. He was a paleo libertarian. He was practically an anarchical capitalist. Um, and I just thought that was funny. Also, that that guy um, delivers the line at the end. He's He'll be running rolling news in heaven. Yes. <laughs> that was just... You know, I can't, I don't necessarily even disagree with the portrayal of the afterlife. The direction confuses me. I don't think he'll be above us, but he may be running news. <laughs> um, you, know, you know, I have to say, it, one of the things this episode did so brilliantly, and these lines are reminding me of it, is, you know, it, it, how many transactions happened in this hour? We're less than 24 hours out from Logan's death. And it, right. I kept writing down in my notes, transaction, transaction, transaction. Yeah. That is actually the rhythm, the faith, the kind of identity base of this group of people. It's being transactional. So even in the most intimate moment of collective loss, the loss of our king in this system, we go immediately to transaction. That's where these people live and what they know. Absolutely. Right. And um, I, I want to say, speaking of transaction, Roman's line, lip balm Tom Wom, lubing up his lips to kiss my butt. Uh, yes. <laughs> Because they all also know that everything is a transaction. They see it happening in real time and they call it out. And that's right. That's what's brilliant about As this show. As they each do it. Yes. As right. they each do it. So um, we're, we need to wrap up the episode. Final thoughts on where predictions. I mean, I, predictions are both dumb and fun. So um, what do you got? I, I, I'll just say quickly, I, I, I did a... Game of Thrones podcast, and my predictions were always terrible, so I have sworn them off. <laughs> and and in a weird way, you know, part of the genius of this show is these guys, as again, in many ways, and just like the, the characters know what they're doing, the writers know what they're doing. They know we're smart. They know people are doing recaps and analyses. They are smart enough to stay one step ahead of us, so I'm just going to sit back and enjoy it. But because I may never get a chance to talk about the show again, and I thank you, indulge me for 30 seconds. A shout out to Connor, my favorite character in the show, because Connor doesn't make a lot of sense just from a schematic, dramatic point of view. If you were sketching out the show as the treatment, like, you know, he's got three children. One's the woman who feels put out because she's a woman. One's the heir apparent. One's the wastrel. Connor doesn't fit into any, any sort of like obvious conception of this show. Turns out, as I found out, he's based on a real person. Uh, Rupert Murdoch had a first child. It was a daughter who's not involved in the business. Right. But this guy, he's he's 60 or older. He's still a child emotionally. He's, he's apparent, far as we know, he never married, never had children. He's out there alone. When we meet him, he's with a woman who he is paying to be with him. And I find him so sad and Whenever you find out about his childhood, as we did at last episode with the loony cake, remember that? Mm-hmm. Yes. It, it, you get such sympathy for him and such understanding of his deep wounds. And I just, even though Alan Ruck is amazing and can play anything for a laugh and is brilliant and funny, I just find his whole existence to be utterly heartbreaking. And I just thought I'd mention that. Mm-hmm. There yeah. you are. Yeah. And, and, They've made him a presidential candidate for a reason. 
Um, and that, you know, again, it's like in which, how do the strap-ons manifest themselves? And I think um, there, the, this presidential candidacy is one of those ways where we might see his 1% um, turning into something larger than 1%, something that could that could fuck up Jared Mencken. We don't know. Anyways, I, I but I do predict something happening in that space, at least with Connor. Danielle, what do you, what do you think? How are you feeling? You know, my predictions are also routinely horrible, but so in the na- so in the name of just my personal enjoyment, here's my prediction. Yeah. We're going to open up the next episode and for some reason, for reasons that will be explained but kind of only partially explained, Greg is living with Connor. I think Greg is going to find a room in that Logan apartment. Oh, I can see that happening. Really? Yeah, that's he's fun. Gonna, he's going to think he's that's He's going to make a nest for himself under some excuse. It's the only way he can physically still be in the game is by somehow waking up in that apartment. That's my funny prediction. Will they know that he's there? What will be like from the mixed up files of Miss Basily Frankweiler? He'll just be living there after dark when oh. no one knows. Oh, they'll have no idea. He's in using, the bathroom. He, he's using the second kitchen. It's fine. <laughs> but also just like Manhattan real estate burn. I don't feel like that place is worth $63 million. I'm just going to say that right now. Thank you, Nagin Farsad, because I every had to New say what we were all the thinking. same thought. Thank you. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. It's 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 an apartment the size of a house on Fifth mm. Avenue. That's not worth $63 million. It's just oddly dark and kind of like low ceiling-ish. <laughs> and like it's no, it's not a 63 oh. millioner. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just Nagin, not. from what I saw, only two floors, 60 I know, million. Bo- like dumb. I mean, Come on. Yeah, I know. That, that, <laughs> get that. out of here. Yeah. Um uh, I I continue to be as my final predictions are always team the rise of Kendall um, he's showing that he can Logan it up uh, he gave us that smile I mean he's just willing to be that kind of evil and and morally flexible enough to uh, again as this presidential election rears its head we don't know what's going to happen there but they like talking about it they like talking about the Nazi element um, so who knows I, I think I think Kendall's moral flexibility will come into play there. Um, but but again, the 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 rom-com inside of me just wants everyone to be happy. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I Nagin, I, I I love you as you know. I think you're setting yourself up for disappointment and I'm concerned. <laughs> Also, I have to say it again, you're a very unusual lover of this show. If, if, if you love a rom-con ending, I wouldn't necessarily say, try succession. I know. Yeah. I know. It's an unusual I choice. Like, I want, I, like, Tom Hanks shows up in the end and sort of t- chats them through and provides them meaningful friendship, and they realize the power of human connection, and um, Tom Hanks becomes their surrogate dad. That's... Uh, <laughs> I think it's likely. Here we go. Exciting. (laughs) Folks, I want to thank the two of you so, so, so much for being on this episode. I knew this was going to be a fun one. Um, Danielle, where do people find you? Oh, so wonderful to be here with you guys. You can find me on Instagram where I am at ddurch, which is D-D-U-R-C-H. Definitely follow her for all of the wonderful artistry on display. Um, And Peter Sagal, I mean, I think everybody, everybody who listens to Fake the Nation already knows to just tune into Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me because it's a regular part (laughs) of my pitching process. But Peter, is there anything special? I'm I'm a... 
I just, yeah, I've been accompanying people as they drive their kids to soccer games for decades now. <laughs> they they know how to find me. I'm, I'm on Twitter at Peter Sagel for the moment. Who knows how long that will last? Right. Fair, uh, fair, fair. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I, I, every now and then I write something that pops up and I'll let you know when it does. By the way, his last book, The Incomplete Book of Running, also made me cry. So, oh my God. But it made me laugh too. But I was surprised that it made me cry. I wasn't expecting that. So that's why I mention it. Um, okay. it, it. It primarily made me laugh and had me engaged. And I'm not a runner, which is also interesting that I was so engaged with a, with an incomplete book on running. Um, so I also want to just uh, promote that book for a quick second. Thank you, Nagin. Um, you, are, you are very kind. <laughs> and folks, you know to uh, wait until Thursday for your episode of Fake the Nation. That is coming. We have something really delightful cooking up for you. And I want to thank everyone who makes this show a possibility. I want to thank our wonderful producer, Andrew McGuire. I want to thank Gabby Alter for our phenomenal Phenomenal music, which is the Fake the Nation theme music um, remixed uh, to include Succession. Um, such a beautiful, such a beautiful uh, theme. So thank you so much to Gabby Alter, and thank you to everyone at Headgum who makes this a possibility. And we will be back in your earballs on Thursday. That was a Headgum podcast.